0: He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is episode 11 and I am Scott Gardner. Hello, welcome to the show. First off, I want to give big belated thanks to my friend Luke Giaconetti, who sent me All-Star Western number one and two. This is the uh, current ongoing, the uh, new 52, if you will, version of uh, All-Star Western starring Jonah Hex. Big thanks to Luke for sending me these because uh, I was... uh, fussing a while back that i had missed the first couple of issues and desperately wanted to be buying the new series but i'm one of these guys that if if i miss a a recent back issue then i more than likely i just am kind of like nah to heck with it then and i i just don't bother to keep up because i i really just can't stand chasing recent back issues but uh Luke sent me these uh, and I thought that that was really really awesome. I read them and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm into the story and uh, excited to see where it goes. I always wanted to read stories of of Jonah in the east, you know, in in a big eastern city and in this uh, particular tale Jonah comes to Gotham. Now I could have kind of done without it being gotham city or, or metropolis or you know one of the fictionalized dc cities but still it's pretty cool i'm digging where it's going so far and uh it's really neat he sent me uh number one and number two and number one was the uh the reprint the second printing version and luke had said something at the time that you know that it was the second print but he thought that the cover was a lot better well just being the completest that i am and liking this story so much I went and I tracked down, uh, first printing of number one, just so that I'd have one in my collection. And I have to completely agree with Luke. I like the reprint, the second print version uh, of the cover a lot better. It's a, it's like a darker, like blood red color in the background. And I think it looks a lot sharper and it really makes Jonah stand out that much more on this, uh, really nice cover. But uh, again, thanks to Luke for those. I really, really do appreciate it. And, uh, now I'm, uh, more or less caught up on my Jonah Hex, on the modern Jonah Hex, because I also uh, managed to score in an eBay lot all of the issues I needed to uh, catch up and complete the uh, prior Jonah Hex series, Jonah Hex Volume Two, if you will. There was that was a, it ended up being a seventy issue series, and somewhere in the '60s, I think, like the mid '60s. Um, I had stopped because I had switched LCSs and I had missed a bunch of issues. So again, I had stopped getting the book. And, you know, fully intending to get them at some point, I just hadn't got them. And I found a lot that miraculously was like exactly, picked up exactly with the issue number I had left off and went all the way through the end of the series and got it for a song and recently read through all of those. And then um, these first couple of issues of All-Star Western. So I'm more or less caught up. I know that there are... Uh, at least number three probably number four is out by now they're waiting for me at my lcs i just haven't picked them up yet but uh i'm really into it and it's very very cool so i'm glad to be all caught up on my jonah at the moment no emails for this episode which is very sad um although i was noticing the other day that in our two true freaks gmail inbox it seems like there are a lot of emails coming into that gmail account that are actually meant for some of the other shows um i didn't notice on a quick glance if any of them were jonah hex related or not but uh, i will be going through that pretty soon and sorting through that and if there are any jonah related ones that you folks have sent in and been wondering why you haven't heard them on the show then i will be uh, sorting through that gmail box and uh, and addressing them here on the show but for the future, um, if you uh, have something to say about the show and want to write in, the uh, correct Gmail to use for this show is Jonah Hex Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Write in, let me know what you think, both good and bad. You know, I I uh, am always open to uh, constructive criticism. I need constructive criticism, so write in and let me know what you think. This particular episode is probably going to lend itself quite well, I would suppose, to uh, some sort of feedback one way or the other, both good and uh, and bad and ugly, because this is the much-promised scaled-back version of the show. I'm going to try something different this time um, for a couple of different reasons, but the main one being that uh, I've simply got, got to cut down on the editing time on this show. Um, I love being able to make this show something of an audio drama, but the editing time on it has just been killing me even with cutting it back to just being a monthly show we have upped our output on two true freaks and uh, we're planning to even up it further and so all of our shows are being somewhat scaled back some of them you won't notice any difference other than the running times will probably be shorter this particular show, really the only thing I can do, the only thing I'm willing to do to scale back is is to kind of scale back on the bells and whistles, and I really just want to cut down the editing time. The content of the show shouldn't change all that much, although this time around I am going to try something a little bit different. I'm going to try to do a pretty much standard synopsis, and I will, won't really be doing character voices and things like I was doing before. I really want your feedback on this if you like it if you don't like it if uh, you know whatever your opinion is please write in and let me know because uh, if it's simply a matter of I need to devote more time to the show in order to keep those things in there that you folks like or if you know if you're on the other side if you're like oh thank god he finally did away with the goofy voices and you know whatever your opinion is I really do want to to hear it so please write in And let me know what you think, particularly of this episode. But, you know, the show as a whole as as well. I'm very curious uh, what folks are thinking. Um, As I think I said last episode, so many people in fairly recent months have, it seemed like everybody kind of came out of the woodwork at once demanding the return of this show. Shows back, I haven't really heard all that much feedback. So it's kind of weird. But that said, let's take a look at this month's issue. This is Weird Western Tales, number 20. This is the November-December 1973 issue. Can't believe how old uh, some of these issues are. Makes me feel very old. Um, Anyway, the original cover price on this was a mere two dimes, 20 cents. Cover credits on this one, again, Luis Dominguez. Now this, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, I don't know if that is the proper pronunciation. This is the cover that would eventually grace the cover of the Jonah Hex Showcase Edition, the the black and white reprint, the Showcase. Um, I don't care for this cover. It's not a bad cover at all, don't get me wrong. It's actually, the art's actually very nice on this cover. It shows um, a dark... Uh, night scene with this it's weird weirdly colored but but awesomely colored it definitely uh deserves the banner of weird because it, it is a very weird cover it's a it's a like an olive green color to it with this uh lighter green full moon in the background and jonah hex is facing us the readers as he's lighting a cigarette and we can see his eyes shifting as uh Something behind him catches his notice, and behind him, these shadowy Indian figures are sneaking up on him. And one has this big nasty tomahawk. It looks like he's ready to walk up and just plant it right in Jonah's skull. It actually is a really, really, really good cover. However, my my beef with this being the cover of the Showcase edition, and I know I went into this in a prior episode, so I won't make a really big deal out of it. But it's just you look at this cover, and right away you go, "Oh, I get it: cowboys and Indians," which. I think does a disservice to the character of Jonah Hex. As I've said a million times, Jonah is so much more than just another cowboy tale. Um, He's really not a cowboy at all. And typically, typically, Jonah Hex is not about cowboys and Indians. And so that bugs me that this was the cover they chose to grace that volume because that is completely what, you know, if you were looking through that on the bookshelf at, you know, Barnes and Noble or something and you saw this, I would think if you didn't have a vested interest in Jonah Hex, you just breeze right by it thinking, I don't like cowboy comics and just keep going, which I think hurts that volume because this is this is excellent comics in my opinion. Anyway, gone on about that long enough. Story this time around is by someone different. Arnold Drake is the writer on this one. Editor Joe Orlando and artist as always Tony Dizaniga, who truly, truly pulls out all the stops in this one. So getting into the synopsis, a shadowy figure approaches from the horizon, slowly mist and shade begin to rise, revealing a lone rider, a cold unerring trigger finger, a permanent death's grin that chills the blood of evil men, the scarred face of Jonah Hex in Blood Brothers. Jonah notes to himself that it's a quiet town as he rides down the main avenue, and that he's never seen a quiet town that was worth a Georgia dollar. Right on cue, a figure comes sailing out the door of the saloon, and Hex is pleased. Now this is his kind of town. The bum rush patron is an Indian, and as Jonah looks down at him, a man appears in the doorway brandishing a weapon. The fella orders the Indian to his feet, but when the unconscious Aborigine fails to move, the man prepares to kill him where he lies. Hex intervenes, shooting the man's weapon out of his hand. The man demands to know what gives. Is Hex against shooting stinking redskins? One that's lying on the ground with a barrel of whiskey slopping inside his head, maybe, but mostly he's against killing U.S. corporals that are six weeks AWOL with a $50 reward on them for their return to Fort Lang. Hex slings the Indian across a horse, and it isn't clear whose horse this is, presumably the corporal's, and he rides off, leaving the man to wonder just who the blazes he thinks he is anyway. His buddy, Red, tells him that he should have taken a closer look at that ugly face, and he'd have known that that was Jonah Hex and that he's very lucky to be alive. The silent brush of an alabaster moon paints the great plains in mystery as the Indian rouses. He tells Hex he needn't have come after him. As he was planning to turn himself in anyway, come morning, Hex points out that the man didn't lose anything then, but the Hex has earned six months' worth of dried beans, salt pork, and coffee. The Indian identifies himself as the younger son of Chief Macana Machana, <laughs> not sure how to pronounce this one. M a c h a n a. I'm gonna say Macana, Chief Macana named John Running Wolf, and at the top of page four, he looks a heck of a lot like Charles Bronson. Hex and Running Wolf talk and it is revealed that Running Wolf feels that the days of the Indians are numbered so he lit out to join up with the white soldiers as a scout and look out for number one. Hex admits that he can't fault the man for that seeing as how it's his own way of looking at things as well. Hex and his bounty arrive at Fort Lang, only to find the place under siege from an Indian attack, but Running Wolf senses that something isn't right. His coward of a brother would never attack the fort with a raiding party this small. Running Wolf asks if Hex is going to go to the defense of his white brothers, but Hex responds that he's fought his war, the blue against the gray, and doesn't want to make a hog of himself. But when the Indians finally flee, and a parting shot in the form of a flaming arrow comes a little too close to comfort, it's suddenly made personal, and Hex takes action by gunning down the man responsible. Later, Hex drops in on Major Shaw inside the fort and claims his bounty, commenting on the action he's witnessed. Shaw thanks Hex, and says that there was only minor damage and no casualties, but is perplexed by Red Horse's attack and speculates that this may mean that Washington will have to reevaluate its liberal Indian policies. Hex asks which ones, taking their land, killing their braves, or starving their women and children. Shaw, like the man at the saloon, asks if Hex is an Indian lover, but the bounty hunter professes affection only for genuine U.S. currency and leaves. Hex gets directions from a local boy as to where he can get a decent meal and some liquid refreshment and winds up at the Widow Lacey's place. Hex receives a less than welcome reception from a well-dressed man who answers the door, informing Hex, quite frankly, that he stinks. Hex barges in, knocking the man on his backside and saying that he's been riding for two weeks, but once he's had a bath, the man will find him right tolerable. And that's when Hex finds himself face to face with the Widow Lacey. Who is actually an old acquaintance of Jonah's named Eileen? She introduces Hex to Mayor Barnett, the man who Jonah knocked on his keister. And impressed by Hex's quick fists, one of Widow Lacey's house guests, a man named William Vandermeer of the Reading, Springfield, and Abilene Railroad, offers Hex a job $100 for the safe return of Widow Lacey's niece Muriel, who's been kidnapped by Red Horse, and $200 if Hex can bring him in as well dead or alive. Outside and alone together, Hex confronts Eileen about this widow Lacey business and she cops to having taken the title to gain respect in business. Hex and Eileen get chummy and she tells him to be careful. Sometime later, Hex is successful in sneaking up on Red Horse's camp where he finds Muriel cooking Indian style. Before he can act, however, he is surprised by Red Wolf and the two men tussle. Hex gets the best of Red Wolf but soon finds himself at the wrong end of a rifle barrel, a rifle held by Muriel, because she isn't Red Wolf's prisoner after all. She's his wife. She's also inexperienced in such matters and Hex easily disarms her. With Red Wolf tied up on one horse and Muriel reluctantly following on another, Hex sets out for town again, but on the way the trio is ambushed and Red Wolf is killed. Hex guns down two of the attackers, but a third man gets away, much to Jonas's chagrin. Arriving back at Eileen's place, Hex enters and, to the horror of everyone present, unceremoniously dumps Red Wolf's body in the middle of the living room floor. It is at this point that Hex lets on to Mr. Vandermeer and the mayor that he is wise to their little scheme. Seems that the two men hired some of the local Indians to attack the fort and stir up anti-Indian sentiments in the area so that Washington would order in the cavalry to drive them off the land, allowing the railroad to gain control of all of it. Vandermeer asks Hex how much his silence is going to cost him, to which Hex replies, $200, 100 for the Indian and 100 for the woman. Vandermeer appears very pleased to hear this, but Hex is suspicious as the railroad man reaches into his vest pocket, ostensibly to take out his wallet, so Hex orders Muriel to do it, to make sure it isn't the kind that goes bang. Turns out that it is, but it's such a tiny little pea shooter that Jonah actually breaks up laughing at the size of the thing. As this is going on, John Running Wolf, remember him from the beginning of the story, sneaks up on Hex from behind and almost takes the bonny hunter by surprise, but time spent living among white men has dulled the Indian's skills, and a creaky floorboard gives him away. Running Wolf hurls his hunting knife with deadly accuracy, and it buries itself in Jonah's right shoulder, making Hex drop his gun. Mayor Barnett dies for Hex's weapon, but Eileen steps on his fingers and holds him at gunpoint to keep this contest between Jonah and Running Wolf only. The two men batter each other, and the Indian taunts Hex for his foolishness in trying to fight him one-armed, but Jonah licks him anyway, and during the fight it comes out that Running Wolf was the third gunman, having sold out his own brother for the promise of prosperity in the white man's world. The tale concludes with Jonah relieving Mr. Vandermeer of exactly $200 and promising to report his and Mayor Barnett's scheme to Major Shaw. On the way out of town, Jonah again rides past the local boy who asks if the Widow Lacey's place turned out to be as expensive as the lad warned him it might be. It were expensive for some folks, boy, Hex says. It sure were. I like this issue. I like this issue a lot, even though it turns out to be a kind of standard Western tale at the same rate. I do like it. I think a lot of my enjoyment of this issue is helped by the fact that I have a really, really sweet uh, copy of this issue. It's is, uh, it's very fine near mint, I, I would say, uh, the cover has uh, taken the brunt of the damage, but the interiors are, I mean, almost pristine. It's uh, it's crisp, it's white, it's, the pages are just beautiful, and it really makes Dizaniga's gorgeous art just pop. It is really just fantastic looking. A lot of my enjoyment of, of this story, and I, I will freely admit that a lot of my enjoyment of these early hex tales in general comes from the art. Sometimes the stories... Uh, you know, there there are varying degrees of, of good or bad, but it's really the art in these that, that really makes this pop. But in this particular instance, I really did like the tale. You know, shortly we're going to see a, a new permanent writer on Jonah Hex, one that is going to put his indelible stamp on the character and actually kind of set the template for how Hex will be done pretty much forever after. However... I liked this story a lot and would not have uh, minded at all seeing more tales of Jonah from Arnold Drake. I think he really had a a solid feel on the character, and uh, I liked his dialogue. I liked the way he wrote Hex in this. He made him a little bit more of the, the tough, rugged, uh, bounty hunter slash gunfighter much closer to say eastwood's man with no name than the mysterious possibly supernatural figure that albano was writing and i i like that take i didn't mind for a change jonah shooting the gun out of the guy's hand you know Allo the lone rangers you know quite as much this issue normally that sort of thing really really bugs me but it would have been kind of excessive if Jonah in this instance had simply just gunned the guy down. That that would have been a little bit too much. I can see him actually just shooting the gun out of the guy's hand. Actually, I could see Hex just shooting the guy in the arm or, or in the shoulder or something to make him drop the gun as well, but killing him outright, nah, that would have been a little bit much. Page eight on the last two panels, yet another woman throwing herself at Jonah Hex. And she even comments on how ugly he is. So clearly she's, you know, not blind or anything. She sees that he's, you know, deformed, yet still wants to lock lips with him. This will come up time and time again, how despite his deformity, Hex still manages to get his fair share of the ladies. On page nine, I really liked, uh, Jonah's trick of tying canvas bags onto his horse's, uh, iron horseshoes in order for the the horse to i guess walk quieter i wonder if that's a real old west thing or not i I don't know but i thought it was kind of an interesting trick i like how he gets past the guard on page nine he uh comes up on this indian guard and hex tosses a rock and when it catches the the guy's attention hex comes up behind him and clouts him on the back of the head with the butt of his gun he says sorry red brother But this won't hurt none past Tuesday. He has little lines like this throughout the issue, where normally Jonah's not terribly talkative, but I I like some of the things he says in this. On page 10, panel 3, during his fight with Running Wolf, he actually calls him Scalp Hunter, which I thought was (laughs) very interesting, seeing as how the feature that would uh, secede Jonah Hex... In Weird Western Tales was a character called Scalp Hunter, which we'll meet eventually, and uh, which I'm still debating whether I'll cover that or not when that actually happens. I just might. Although I have not been covering the other features in uh, Weird Western so far, Scalp Hunter is a character that I really, really like a lot and uh so i'm i'm debating that when that happens when jonah eventually leaves this book for his own title and the book is handed over to scalp hunter whether i will uh, also cover scalp hunter i'm seriously thinking about it again write in and let me know what you think about that idea if you'd be interested in uh, hearing the the tales of scalp hunter i love page 13 panels one and two this is probably my favorite uh sequence of the entire issue where he comes back to uh, the widow Lacey's place and he just dumps the body right in the middle of the floor. You know, I mean, this is clear that he's, you know, that she's entertaining very rich clients and everything and all these uh, duded up folks are all standing around and Hex just walks in this groungy bounty hunter and dumps a dead Indian in the middle of the floor. Actually, it kind of reminds me of that. (laughs) There's a Monty Python skit where these uh, folks are all gathered around at dinner in this very, you know, upscale British home and a guy arrives at the door and he says Yes? Dead Indian! What? (laughs) We recently bought a new cooker, sir. Yes. Oh, well this is your free dead Indian, as ever. I didn't see that in the adverts. Oh, no, well it's in very small print, you see, sir, so as not to affect the sales. (laughs) We've no room. Oh, it's all right. you can put the uh, dead Indian in the spare room on top of the dung. Yeah. (laughs) Me, he, dizzy. He's not dead. Oh, it's probably a faulty cooker. For all I know, they might have even gotten the idea from this issue. Who knows? But uh, I get a kick out of this sequence. And the mayor says, What's the meaning of this, Hex? You didn't have to drag his carcass in here. And we've got Hex with his hat, you know, in his hands, held to his chest. And he says, I apologize, Mr. Mayor. He says, I sure uh, hope I didn't stain the carpet. <laughs> I just get a kick out of it. He's so sarcastic in this part, he has such disdain for. Uh, for these supposed authority figures. I I really like that. Page 14, I'm not sure how I feel about laughing Jonah. It seems kind of out of character. I think I I I I'll risk going so far as saying that I think this was the one moment of the issue where um Drake had a misstep that I But then again, I don't know. I mean, we we never, uh, to my recollection, up to this point, we haven't gotten much of a sense of Jonah's sense of humor. And so I guess this is pot- potentially the sort of thing that that could make Hex bust up laughing that someone pulls this teeny tiny little what he calls a pea shooter on him. But it just it does seem a little bit awkward in this portion of the story. I mean. Size of the gun or not, it is a gun and someone's holding it on him. So it just, it does seem a little bit strange. Also on page 14, how in the world did Running Wolf get free? This was the guy that Hex caught at the very beginning of the issue and turned over to the fort. It's never explained. The guy just shows up, throws a knife at Jonah, they tussle, and he's taken down at the end of the issue, but we're never given an explanation of just how did he escape the fort in the first place and seeing as how this whole thing turned out to be some big elaborate plot i would kind of expect jonah to be suspicious of that you know did someone at the fort have a deal going with running wolf and turn him loose to take hex out or something you know something to that effect it's it's never adequately explained and i think it makes hex look a little i don't know it it makes hex just the fact that this thought never occurs to him that he's going to take the indian right back to the fort again seems a little bit strange that he should at least consider that wait a minute how did this guy get loose but it's never brought up at all bottom of page 15 i like this in the very last panel well the last two panels actually we've got uh hex and running wolf are just battering each other and running wolf says you're not so smart hex fighting a one-armed fight and in the very last panel hex is just clobbering him with a solid laugh and he says i'll spot you one arm and still hammer you into the ground you were the third man right john and i like that you know jonah doesn't often boast or at least not like this This time around, I like that. He's very confident in this fact that even one-armed, he's going to whoop this guy, and he does. He takes him down, and he really clobbers him good. While the plot of this issue, admittedly, isn't the greatest, the dialogue is excellent in this, and I really like how Drake portrayed Hex. And again, I would not have minded at all if he'd stuck around for a bit more, but, alas, next issue, we're going to get one last... At least I think it's the last time that uh, Albano would write Jonah Hex. I could be wrong about that. But it's going to be the last for a considerable time. And then, with issue 22, uh, we will see the debut of Michael Fleischer, who, as I said before, is going to put his indelible stamp on Jonah Hex. And we're going to see kind of a shift in the way Hex tales are told. And we will start to get bits and pieces of the backstory and eventually the origin of Jonah Hex. So stick around for that. I think you will enjoy it very much. This issue is reprinted in a couple of places, one of them being Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales, number two. And seeing as how they uh, use the cover of this issue as the cover of the Showcase Presents, you can also find this story in that Showcase Presents Jonah Hex volume one trade paperback. There is another feature in this issue. It's uh, you know it's not with any recurring characters or anything, but I like this one a lot. It's a tale called Turnabout Plots by Sergio Aragones, art by Gil Kane, and the script was by E. Nelson Bridwell, and I like this a lot. Now I'm kind of hot and cold on Gil Kane. I like some of you know what I like of his I generally like a whole lot and what I don't like I generally don't like because his uh, his line work is a little thick for the most part I like it a lot I think this would have worked better if he had been the the layout artist and someone else had inked over him because I'm pretty sure seeing as how he has the sole art credit I'm pretty sure he did the sole art chores on this so he has a very very thick ink line however i like this it's a short little tale it's only let's see here it's only four pages long but you've got this uh washed up old top gun guy you know this old gunfighter and he's well beyond his years and he realizes that there's this young punk challenger that's come gunning for him so at the beginning of the story we see him And He's trying to shoot bottles and cans off a fence and he's doing a horrible job And he just realizes that he's well past his prime that there's no way that he can possibly win this fight so we cut to the showdown in the streets of of the town you know the, the typical Western you know High noon type showdown and this guy shows up who looks very very much like the rawhide kid over at Marvel so They face off against each other and while the old gunfighter is not quick enough to possibly outdraw this uh, young buck, he is fast enough that as he sees the young gunfighter draw his weapons and he knows he's about to shoot, he suddenly whirls around and presents his back to the kid and he gets shot in the back and falls over dead and the young gunfighter is just stunned and he realizes that he's been cheated of his victory and that not only did he not make a reputation for himself the way he thought that he would by taking out this you know top gunfighter and uh and earning his rep but now he's actually earned himself a trip to the gallows and that's the way the story ends and it's really a nice little tale you know it's it's and as I say, it's just a short little four pager, but the art's solid and the writing is really, really good. You really get into the head of this over the hill gunfighter. And at first, his initial fear, realizing what's going to happen, and eventually his resolve to, if he's going to die, he's going to die his way. And he's going to show this kid, you know, he, he's going to have the last laugh, essentially. And I like that. It's, it's As I said, it's a nice little Twilight Zone-esque twist-ending tale. Perfect for weird Western tales. And that particular story has been reprinted. It was in Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales number three. Uh, by the way, those Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales, those are little digest size. Similar to like the old uh, DC Blue Ribbon Digest and Best of DC, those little digest size and uh if anybody ever chances across those on the cheap get in touch with me because i'm still hunting number two and number three of those reprints ads this time around the only one that's really of note is there's an ad here for dc's 100 page super spectacular number 22 which was a uh, a flash it was an all flash 100 pages this thing looks really cool i think i actually have this in my collection pretty sure i've never read it though This time around, Trail Talk, which is the letters page, full of some really good stuff here. And I actually want to cover all three of them real quick. First letter here is from uh, James T. McCoy. (laughs) How's that for a uh, Star Trek mishmash name? Since the seventh issue of Weird Western Tales was very well done, Jonah Hex and El Diablo are the best Western characters I've ever read. This magazine has improved a lot since it began as All-Star Western, a name I still prefer, and now is the best Western magazine on the stands. The Hanging Woman was a superb morality play with excellent characterization. The violent confrontation between Hex and the Hatchets was a bit contrived, but it occurred under circumstances that were quite realistic. The actions of the townspeople also reeked of harsh reality. By the way, I've noticed that a sameness is slowly developing in the Jonah-Hex plots. To relieve this, I suggest that future stories delve into Jonah's past, perhaps explaining why he became a gunfighter. And the answer to this uh, letter was your comments on the scripts for jonah hex are being passed on to michael fleischer the new writer for jonah's series as time goes by i'm sure he'll be unraveling more and more of jonah's mysterious background and this is something that actually came to be you know a lot of times the letters pages will throw out things like this and then they, <laughs> they never follow up on it in this particular instance michael fleischer pretty much hits the ground running and almost immediately begins to deliver on this promise of filling in and and shading in some of Hex's background, and uh, that's going to be exciting. Next one up is from, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this name, someone writing from Hawaii. says, The only reason I've been buying issues of Weird Western Tales regularly is for the artwork and the supposed mystique surrounding the magazine's title. Although El Diablo has satisfied my craving for mystery somewhat, I am, for the most part, dissatisfied. That was because of Jonah Hex. Don Eiler put into his letter what I always hesitated to say. From the very start, I felt a strong distaste for this Hex character and have to agree that he's counterproductive. Until I see a favorable report from the new zine, The Comic Reader, you can count me out as a regular customer. (laughs) And what's really funny, eventually Hex would grace the cover. Of the comic reader i only have two issues of the comic reader in my own collection one of which is the jonah hex issue the other one by the way is uh featured an excellent excellent jim apero um captain marvel cover wish jim apero had done more uh, captain marvel art because it's really fantastic the answer to this one says i happen to be well aware of the comic reader editor uh, paul levitt's views on weird western And you might be interested to know that he is quite a fan of the mag. I hope you'll count that as a quote-unquote favorable report and rejoin the ranks of Weird Western Tales readers. Last one this time around, and I liked this one a whole lot. It says... It seems to me that Don Eiler is a pretty receptive person. Now I think this Don Eiler they're referring to, I think he's the one that wrote in with all these crazy views and and things, opinions on Hex. I'm pretty sure I read his uh, letter in a a prior uh, episode of this show. The writer continues, based on his explanation of the quote unquote superhero character and three part analysis of the heroic fantasy plot structure. It uh, must be living in Kent, Ohio that has forced him to such rash conclusions about the nature of the Jonah Hex character and plotline. I take great objection to his statement that Jonah Hex is counterproductive. I don't think that Jonah was ever meant to be a pure hero. He is an anti-hero from the start. Contrary to your reply to Mr. Eiler, he does seek to harm people. He is a bounty hunter, after all although he is a just honorable man attempting to met out justice only to those who deserve it naturally hex uses violence as a means of retribution which is mr eilers main objection true violence no matter how righteous is always a poor alternative but violence is a part of human nature since violence is an ingrained part of human nature Hex is to be commended for being able to exercise enough control over his violent instincts while not allowing his emotions to suffer to deliver just retribution for a wrong. Jonah Hex is the ultimate anti-hero. He is at once the most noble and pitiable character in the comics today. Since every man has a good and evil within him, Hex, by showing the proper balance of the two elements that is needed to attain the goal of justice is far from counterproductive i can only add that in the past year i have uh, discovered that jonah hex has to be the most dramatic series in comics that i've ever read surpassing even enemy ace counterproductive hex should be required reading in any american literature course and this was from robert strauss of st petersburg florida And the answer to this one was thank you for your eloquent defense of Jonah Hex and I apologize for having to had to cut it a bit both John Albano and I found your letter very interesting and it gave us insights into our own creations personality. I thought that was a fantastic letter and with that we are brought to the death count this time around Hex shot three men. Death count overall tally so far. Three off-panel kills. 30 shot. Four outdrawn. Two allowed to die. Two blown up real good. One stabbed. One chased off a cliff. And one kicked off a cliff. That's a total of 44 people. 43 men and one woman. Killed by Jonah Hex so far. Next time... Weird Western Tales number 21 For the Jonah Hex Podcast I'm Scott Gardner Thank you very very much for listening Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com Death And The Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, is produced in association with the Two True Freaks Podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com and is a registered trademark of De Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. September 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents... The The All-Star Squadron! The Tales of the Justice Society of America every Friday at Two True